So, Brady Vice, here we are. Welcome to What You're Not Hearing podcast. The very first one. Inaugural episode. We're, we're excited. We're very excited. This is an idea that kind of came together last week. Uh, About the middle of the week. Middle mm-hmm. of the week. And what better timing than a time when no one can leave their house, right? Yeah. That way we can frustrate them with our voices. That's right. And personally, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts over the quarantine. Um, so I feel like it's a good time to get in on it. I don't know. I don't want people to think that we're trying to, I guess, capitalize off misfortunes. But what else is anybody uh, going to do right now? Yeah. The way I see it is we're just having a conversation as usual. Just decide to broadcast it. So That's right. Shout out to Carter Sick and Tyler McRoberts. Yes. For their podcast this weekend, two mics. Awesome. What is it? Two mics, two brains. Two minds, two mics. Two minds, two mics. Not brains. Yeah. All right. I, l- I listened to that. That was it's very interesting to hear two people from where we're from, kind of. It's talking. like you kind of know their story, but you get more of an in-depth kind of talking about themselves and sports, and can't really talk about sports right now. You know. Yeah, we have to make up our own on. stuff, don't we? <laughs> Paper football. That's all right. Paper football league. Let's let's get that on Instagram live and get featured on Sports Center. You'd have like twenty thousand viewers instantly. Probably so. <laughs> all right. So for everybody out there, name this podcast again. What you're not hearing. So kind of the idea that we've had is Brady and I are passionate about music. We're both passionate about certain kinds of music, and typically there's not a lot of people who know about the artists that we like. So Brady has started a social media presence, an entire, the beginnings of a brand over, when did you start it? August last year? Actually, I want to say it was November. November. And that's when I first featured you on the channel with your uh, Merry Christmas video. A little premature for Christmas, but... Close enough. It was a great instrumental to have on the channel, of course. Right. So... The name of the page, I Love Local Music, right? Yes. And Mm -hmm. that's... On Instagram, Facebook, and uh, YouTube, of course. Yeah. And kind of, how's that culminated, Brady? I know it's grown a lot since you first started it, and kind of, what's your your goal for that channel? The end goal is just having a platform for everybody within a local range. I mean, it could even expand to different states, but you know, just having a platform for these artists to be showcased and get the light shed on them that they're not usually. So, And it's something very important. As a musician, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity, you know, that somebody wants to promote your stuff or help you promote your stuff. So it's really exciting. So the idea behind this podcast is to have a more conversational approach to that, would you say? Just... Kind of talk about just that, that in general and any other kinds of music that we're interested in, you know, because there's a lot of types of music that you and I both listen to that nobody really even knows about, you know. It's true. And, you know, it's very fun to be sitting here in a podcast kind of realm. I mean, neither of us, I've never done a podcast before. Nor have I. But just the idea of sitting down and, you know, talking and debating and letting you guys listen in. You know, kind of be flies on the walls. Kind of how I feel when I'm listening to a podcast. Yeah, so, I feel like I'm getting an insight on just random conversations people have. 
about things. So it's really interesting. Yeah, so we're going to see how far we can take this thing for, for no other reason than fun. So go ahead and follow this podcast on whatever platform you're on. Currently, we are planning to be on Spotify, iTunes, um, SoundCloud, YouTube. stuff like that, YouTube. Yeah. So subscribe, like, whatever you want to there if you want to listen to more content. But to start out, last week we lost um, a lot of people's, you know, idol and hero, right? Personally, yeah. I was writing songs for a long time, and then I heard John Prine. And for those of you who aren't familiar with his songwriting, you know, he's almost in a way the original podcast. We were just talking about how you know, you're kind of fly on the wall in these conversations. To me, his songs are like that. He's, he's telling his story, and you're there listening to it, right? It's, and it, it gives you all those emotions and feelings, you know, as if someone was telling you a story. And I don't feel like there will ever be another person that can encapsulate sadness and happiness and just pure bliss in one song like he had so many times. You know? Right. You know, and you say that word bliss, I think that's a good way that anyone could describe his music. Because obviously like any songwriter, there's a lot of different topics, a lot of different themes. But at the end of the day... He always gives you the same kind of emotion, kind of, kind of feeling. So I think bliss is a good word. So to start out, Brady, we talked about last week a few things that we wanted to talk about in John Prine. And that includes favorite album, underrated album, and our top three or so songs. All right, so I want to go ahead and pass you the mic here about which one you want to start with. Let's just go ahead and start with top three songs since it's at the top of my list. Um, first one, I've got Everything is Cool from The Missing Years. Mm-hmm. Um, Please Don't Bury Me. Of course, you know that's my favorite. It's very true. And then um, Angel from Montgomery from his self-titled debut album. Okay. Very good songs. Everything is Cool is one I debated putting on my list, actually. Um, so mine are in no particular order. I have four, by the way, because I could not narrow it down. I made an honorable mention list, so... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also have one of those. Um, so, Blue Umbrella. Yeah. Which is first recorded on Sweet Revenge. Uh, Souvenirs. And then Some Humans Ain't Human from Fair and Square, another favorite one of mine. And I also have Angel from Montgomery, because that was yeah. my first John Prine song. I feel like that was a lot of people's, other than Paradise, you know, yeah. those two. But there's a difference. You, in my opinion, if someone hears Paradise, there's a lot bigger chance that you're hearing it from an artist that's not John Prine. Yeah, Just because it's such a big bluegrass song. Hmm. Bluegrass. <laughs> but Angel from Montgomery, it's him or uh, Bonnie Raitt. Yeah. The, the only people you're going to hear singing that song, you know, that are you know, on a national Actually, scale. Yeah, and good really. at singing it, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of break down your songs. Why did you pick those songs? Everything is cool. I'm a sucker for sad songs, especially sad songs that are kind of like, 
ironic in a way, you know, mm-hmm. kind of everything is cool. Um, please don't bury me. I don't, I don't really have a concrete reason. I've just always loved that song and just the happiness about it and just passed me all around. <laughs> but, and then Angel from Montgomery, it's just tearjerker of a song, mm-hmm. no matter how you put it. It really is. Um, let's kind of break down Angel from Montgomery first, because it's kind of on both of our lists. And, you know, my first experience with John Prine was also the first band I ever played in. And I was very young at the time. I guess I still kind of am, but I don't feel it sometimes. (laughs) But we were playing all these jam songs, right? So the idea of the band was let's have a good time, play a few shows, right? And I was young and they put me on banjo, which is still not an instrument that, you know, I should have probably played live, you know, just from personal. Yeah. But at that time, I'd never really played banjo. But it was fun because we were jamming, so I didn't have to be good. Like, it just had to sounded like it made sense in a way. We were playing all these jam songs, you know, Almond Brothers. We were playing some newer stuff in there. We played a couple Tyler Childers songs at the time. And then, you know, this song comes up. We're practicing it for the very first time. And I actually got to listen to the lyrics. All right, the rest of our songs were jam songs. So there weren't a lot of lyrics or they were just, you know, cool refrains or funny yeah. things to say, just stuff that caught attention and the rest of it was playing. But this song, we they sung it, people in the band. And I was just kind of taken back by the lyrics. Not only were the lyrics at first listen, you know, depressing, but in a way optimistic, but just the way that it was constructed felt like I'd known it forever, right? It it felt familiar. And I want to talk a little bit more about John Prine's ability to um, sing a song and write a song, but then give you the perspective of him writing it and also the perspective of who's listening to it. But I want to hear what you have to say about it first. Well, like I said, that song is one of those songs that you hear hundreds of times. And you'll think, hey, that's a good song. Until you really listen, sit down, listen to the lyrics, kind of have them pulled up beside you, you don't really understand in yeah. full. It's true. And, you know... When I first heard it, you know, send me an angel flies from Montgomery. It's like you can take that in a few different ways, too, right? Because it can be make me an angel flies from Montgomery, you know, just like maybe that person, you know, is kind of depressed, suicidal in a way. Mm -hmm. Make me an angel just so I can get out of here. Or it's like the first time I heard it, I took it as, make me an angel is so like send me an angel like just make one appear and then just get me away from here so not necessarily that's kind of how I saw it and also just Montgomery being a sense of like maybe that's your heaven you know people have their other yeah so like Montgomery is the sense of you know if you're gonna fly me from Montgomery maybe my Montgomery is my bad situation or something right whereas his Montgomery or in 
case the song her Montgomery was Montgomery, you know, where she mm-hmm. was. And that idea that John Prine, in almost every song that he wrote, you could tell who the songwriter was. A lot of people, a lot of great songwriters, you can tell who their, what their songs are, even if they're not the ones singing it, because it's kind of their style, more of like the way they write things down. But John Prine, there's just a feeling that just happens. The words come together, and it's like this overall thing. I don't even know how to put it. So like John Prine to me, you know, Angel from Montgomery, he gives you this story. You know, I am an old woman, right? And he reads you through that whole story. But the whole time, no matter how sad that situation is or, you know, the things that she wants out of life or the things she didn't get out of life, at the end of the day, you're like, you know, there's optimism in this. You know, do you do you feel anything like that when you listen to that song? Yeah, and I feel like that with a lot of his other songs too. He's kind of taken an optimistic approach to really bad situations. Like another one we talked about, Bruised Orange, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's on my honorable mentions. And I'd like to read you my honorable mentions now. It is every song I did not list, minus Lake Murray. Now, this is something that we didn't have planned to talk about, but are there any John Prine songs that you do not like or you won't listen to? Not exactly, no. I, I don't really have any connection with a certain person or memory that is tied to a John Prine song that doesn't make me want to listen to it, you know? Okay. I, I can see people having certain attachments to certain songs of his that could... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but the only one that was kind of hard for me to listen to, especially after he passed, was when I get to heaven. That's mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah. it was so. It's the the concept of that song, and it's so real it hard too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For for me, there's only been one John Prine song that I do not like listening to, and I do not like, and that's Lake Marie. And is that is that one you're familiar with? It's off of um, Lost Dog Missing Years or Lost Dog, isn't it? Yeah, Lost Dogs, Mixed Blessing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That that song has always felt too forced for me. Not that it's... The story's fine, and, you know, if it was anybody else singing it, I might even like it. But just something about when John Prine does it, I don't like it. I know a lot of people... I feel like I've met a lot of people who, you know, feel the same way I do about this song. And I've had arguments before with people. Not necessarily arguments. Healthy arguments. You know, yeah. debates. You know, if if that song's good or not. You know, at the end of the day, it's not that it's not good. It's just, it's not like anything else he, he's ever done in a way. I don't know. That's just my take on it. That whole album to me is kind of an odd album. It is. The only, the only cut I really found to be, you know, pleasurable in listening is, um, what is it? Um, I Ain't Hurt Nobody. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I Ain't Hurt Nobody. I really like that song. It's a good little um, tune off that album. The first song on that album, New Train, mm-hmm. is is always on my Summer Jams playlist. That song, when just, I feel like it's a good driving song. Kind of feels like a train, sounds like a train. So next time, when it gets warm and we can actually go outside, yeah. turn that on your radio and just kind of feel it. Definitely. And a lot of his songs are like 
you know, just driving down the road contemplating too, you know, just thinking yeah. about everything. Mm-hmm. And that's good the thing. brain food. I feel like in modern music, whether it's popular music or country music or bro country, pop country, there's not enough contemplation music. All right, that's why people are so enamored by, I think, Tyler Childers and Jason Isbell, right? I think I'm personally not the biggest fan of Tyler Childers, um, but that's just from a lot of his stories I don't connect to. I still mm-hmm. respect him as a musician, and I respect the craft he has, you know. But just from a musical standpoint, I don't, I don't ever want to listen to him. I understand where you're coming from that with completely because these people are not used to listening to real lyricism and, you know, having stuff actually explained to them. Most of these songs anymore in pop country, especially are Mm -hmm. just three topics, you know? Yeah. It's a different trucks, dogs, girls, something, you know, beer. Yeah. And I mean, and that music's fine and it has its place. Um, just, I think once you start to break it down, you know, the reason you listen to music, I don't listen to music to, to get that kind of stuff. I, I don't, the first thing I listen to in a song isn't, you know, it doesn't feel like I could party or dance to this, right? Now, I have certain songs that if I want to party or dance, I know I can turn on. Yeah. But it's not those, right? Like, I listen, I like to listen to music, and the music I enjoy listening to, you know, has a certain content and has a certain um, sound to it. Right, and, you know, listen to, you know, we're here talking about John Prine, and I don't think all these people who have taken inspiration from him over the years, like Tyler Childers, like Jason Isbell, these songwriters, you know, it boils, some people boil that sound down to finger-pick guitar, you know, a little band, and kind of these these lyrics that are in a way almost they know you better than you do but at the end of the day none of them sound like John Prime no right so and I think it's one of those ideas of you know you like what you like and once you hear what you like you don't want to hear what you don't like in a way you know in certain things and these I love Jason Isbell you know some of his songs, there's more songs of his that I don't like. like, But I like a lot of his songs, and I really appreciate his songwriting. But I can't turn anybody like that on over John Prine, ever. So no, what are your thoughts and, on that? I mean, he does hold a special place. He has his big footprint that he's laid down, and nobody can fill that footprint, you know? Mm-hmm. Nobody can write songs like he wrote songs. And it's kind of hard to try to listen to another musician and try to get the same feel as you expect to get in a John Prine song. It's mm-hmm. just not really possible. Yeah. And to kind of go off that, Brady, there's a podcast I listen to, Bill Simmons' podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a big sports guy, right? But also yeah. a pop culture guy. He, he uses this, his own kind of rating systems. He has the one of one, which is 
that's the only one, there'll never be another one, right? Kind of like in terms of copies of prints of something, right? The original copy is one of one. There's not another original copy, mm-hmm. right? So in sports, you know, Michael Jordan's a one of one. There'll never be another Michael Jordan. Tom Brady's a one of one. There'll never be another Tom Brady. You know, John Prine is a one of one, right? His legacy is his own. And it kind of, in a way, came out of thin air and it left in the same kind of way. You know, he's he's gone now, so, but his legacy, it doesn't matter. It's, it feels as the moment he got there, it was all always there. So, I mean... I th- I think it's one of those things where it's hard when it happens so unexpectedly coming into it and then leaving unexpectedly because, mm-hmm. you know, the man survived cancer twice. Yeah. And to and to be taken by all this is kind of hard to fathom. Mm-hmm. He definitely went through a lot, like right at the early 2000s and mm-hmm. before the turn of the century. I mean, a lot of people, I'm sure a lot more people are going to become aware of these things now. Right. A lot of more people yeah. are going to be listening to John Prine now, which, you know, you and me talk about this. It, people who like music become defensive, not just music, but people become defensive over things they like. And if for years nobody has taken their advice, for years we're like, hey, listen to John Prine, you know, stuff really is great. People who are just like, yeah, okay, I'll get to it, and they never did. You know, it's kind of the human way of thinking to be like, yeah, well, you don't deserve that now, right? And, like, yeah. it's it's totally backwards that we think like it, but we can't help it. You know, but but I'm glad that at the end of the day, people are going to, more people are going to listen to it, you know, really. Yeah, and I think the whole concept of being dead for someone to appreciate your work is kind of a sad concept and backward concept itself. Mm-hmm. But... You know, like you said, it does make me more happy that people are getting to listen to his music and hopefully enjoy it and get mm-hmm. some kind of meaning from it. Very true. But, I mean, like we said, nobody's really appreciated until they're dead, and you've got these artists that we listen to will tell people over and over and over, like, mm-hmm. this is what you need to be listening to. And then a month or two after they passed on, man, this stuff is good. Mm-hmm. I've, been tell- I've been telling you that. Yeah. So it kind of brings us to the point, like, in this pandemic, do you feel like people are going to come out different because of it? Do you think that it'll be a, because I think a couple months after we're allowed to go back in public and it starts settling down the news, people are just going to go right back into how they used to be. You know, there's not going to be as much helping people or stuff like that. I mean, how do you think? The first two to three months are going to be very awkward in public and people are just going to be very gun-shy about everything. And we'll get to the point to where people are just kind of not even noticing anymore and just going back to, you know, not washing your hands and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then there's a little sliver of hope in me that people will take a lesson from this and stay clean and make sure they're Mm -hmm. sanitizing their hands and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Which is an interesting point. I mean, personally, I've been super conscious about staying clean, staying healthy. Um, so I, I usually like to relate things to myself because mm-hmm. I don't get out a lot, you know, other than playing shows on weekends or whenever I don't typically go out other than to like watch a movie or something. 
Yeah. So I like to, it's just my experience to relate everything to myself. And that's usually not what you're supposed to do. So I feel like well, everything's better just because I feel that things are going Well, better. I think uh, me and you, you especially, are enjoying this quarantine because, yes, I mean, we're used to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, kind of self-isolation is kind of, I mean, I isolate myself all the time, listen to music and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of used to yeah. TV shows, stuff like that. That's right. I mean, we've been preparing for this, right? Working hard. It's, it's, it's kind of funny to grow up and have that discovery that you don't want to be around people. Because growing up, everybody's like, you need to be around people. You need to go hang out around people. You got to be social. Then you reach a certain age and you can just do whatever you want. And for people, it's like, well, I'm going to go with people. I like being around people or I'm going to go with being alone because I like being alone. I've always thought that was funny that there comes a point in everybody's life where you take that fork in the road Mm -hmm. and then you can kind of, you understand then what people go which way. And I feel like people th- kind of expect you to be able to do both but and mm-hmm. have like a middle ground, but you can't really. Mm-hmm. You either got to go one way or the other with that. Yeah. Especially if you, if your job requires you to work with people. Yeah. Because like, then you have enough of it and want to just go yeah. home and be by yourself or with mm-hmm. your family. That's true. Yeah. And like the job where I work right now, I get to work from home. So I'm lucky for that. But I still have to stay in contact with people you know, every day I have mm-hmm. to be available eight to three thirty every day still. So it's what I'm doing. And even though I'm at home by myself, I'm like, I don't want to do this right now because I'm at home and it feels like I need to be yeah away doing, doing home stuff. <laughs> yeah. So that's a little different, mm-hmm. but getting back to John Prine. Okay. So we talked about angel from Montgomery a little bit. Um, so you had everything is cool mm-hmm. on that list. Um, Everything is Cool is one of those songs. It was recorded. Which album did you say it was recorded on first? Well, I'm pretty sure. Did the Christmas album come before the Missing Years or after? I think. Honestly, think it came. I won't say after. After. I think that then it was originally on the Missing mm-hmm. Years. And it's but, two different recordings is why I yeah. said that. Mm-hmm. But I think I like the version on... The, the Christmas version better because it is kind of a Christmas song in yeah. a sense. <laughs> in a sense, it is. And there's only one line in there in the song that even has anything to do with Christmas, and it's just the word Christmas. And just it, before yeah. last Christmas, my baby went away. But he has a way of painting a picture to where you're kind of yeah. in that frame of mind thinking about that time of year. Yeah, which is another cool thing about a great songwriter, Right. Based on context, they can put you in a different place. You first mm-hmm. hear a song, Everything is Cool. First time I heard it, I had the image of the blackbirds and kind of like a, a white background, almost like the Johnny Cash, Rick Rubin records, like when yeah. all the, the pictures were black and white or real dark, almost that image. Then on the Christmas album, it starts out with the, the shakers. Jingle bells, the yeah. Jingle bells. And you just, I just get this image of like Christmas with the cranks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just like a much more lighthearted kind of typical feel, Christmas feel 
Yeah, and I, and I think it's the same song. Nothing changed other than jingle bells and a little bit different tempo, whatever. Yeah, and it's crazy how you can do that with a song. Mm-hmm. Because think about that, like, what song can be so specific about the point, but then it can be changed like that? Most songs, they're specific to a point that it always means that. And I don't know. It may just be, may just be because I'm kind of enamored with John Prine's songwriting, and I always yeah. have been. But you know, well, to me, that, he that stands goes back out. To the, it goes back to the point where he has multiple interpretations of every song. Yeah, you know, I mean, you could have different. Just even one line out of the song could mean something different, change the whole dynamic of what you see. Mm-hmm. And one thing, I write songs. You write songs, mm-hmm. right? So. From a songwriter's perspective, when you go in to write a song, let's say you have something you want to write about. What's your next step from there after you know what you want to write about? I kind of depict the scene of what I'm writing about in my head, you know. Think about even if it is not an event that happened in your life, there's just a story you, mm-hmm. you're dying to you know, talk about or write yourself. You just kind of got to get that picture painted in your head of hey Mm -hmm. i want to write about this in this time period or you know it happened this old way like Mm -hmm. mr john brown said (laughs) now now compare that to when you're you want to write a song but you don't have anything to write about it's kind of hard for me to explain what's your take on that well personally i'm i'm similar to you when it comes to when i want to write about something in particular Right, I I can feel the image in my head, kind of see it, visualize it, and kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Fifty times out of a hundred, it's bad, and then forty-nine times out of a hundred, it's really bad. Then one time out of a hundred, it comes out like the image in my head. But you know, I've always had trouble trying to write a song when I don't have anything to say. And you know, I think all songwriters do to a point, but. John Prine had this ability that he always had something to say. And I think the best songwriters have that ability. And I like how he could just say something about something he probably never even lived to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have to live something to be able to kind of mm-hmm. have somewhat of an idea of what I'd want to write yeah. about. Yeah. It's like outside of things that we're just familiar of. Like I could write a song about somebody who's addicted to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right. I could probably write that song and it'd be OK. But compare that to, you know, the guy who's addicted to alcohol who writes a song about it. Right. And so when it comes to modern day songwriting, you know, it's like it's been for popular music and country music for 60, 70 years. People sitting in rooms talking about this would be a good song. That's a good line. All right. Let's write around it. Yeah. Right. Whereas. These songwriters, John Prine, James Taylor is another one of my favorite songwriters, Chris Christopherson, like these songwriters, they wrote from experience and not lines, right? And, and when you get to those commercial settings to where you have these people sitting in the rooms and, you know, talking about, oh, this is going to be a good line for this song and we're going to put this with this artist, you know, you're not getting the whole story right Mm -hmm. you're not getting 
all the emotion and stuff you get with actual mm-hmm. songwriters themselves, like James Taylor. Mm-hmm. That's true. What and what's, what's funny, though, is these people we're talking about, John Prine, James Taylor, they have sit in on those sessions before and wrote great songs. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things, sometimes it takes that person that's a conduit for a song. You know, they, they're the only ones who could write that song or say that story in their way. And I think, you know, part of, you know, your goal with I Love Local Music, the people who have that ability, the people who say things, that even though it's been said a million times before, no one said it like that, right? Part of your goal is to make people more aware of them, even if it's only one person that really cares. And they're writing about it in a way that matters to them, and it holds a special place in them, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could write a whole song and, you know, be like, oh, yeah, I've never really felt this way, but this would be a good song. Mm-hmm. And, but, I mean, until you live it and kind of feel what you're writing down and singing, it, it means something more then. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, it's like John Prine was the inspiration for I Love Local Music. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, you listen to somebody like that and they inspire you to you know, want more. So when you hear little bits and pieces of great music that no one's paying attention to, you get kind of frustrated. Right? I, I get that way. You get really frustrated to the point to where you want to buy hundreds of dollars worth of cameras and record it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I, I really enjoy working with artists like you and so many others from Warhead I've met in other areas. And they're just a joy to work with and mm-hmm. getting their stories behind their songs and just really getting the whole 180, 360 mm-hmm. view, actually. Yeah. This is a good, this is a good conversation. All right. So let's take it back to Prine a little bit. And let's go to your underrated album, your most underrated John Prine album. Sweet Revenge. Sweet Revenge. Now tell me about why Sweet Revenge. I like this. I like this album. People like it, but they only like it because of a few songs. Mainly your Please Don't Bury Me, Nine Pound Hammer, um, trying is to De- think of Dear another. Abby. Blue Umbrella. Blue Umbrella. Is Dear Abby on this record? Yeah, it is Dear Abby. Christmas in Prison. So it's got some pretty good cuts, but a lot of people don't really, people are more gauged towards the self-titled album. Mm-hmm. And Diamond in the Rough and, you know, a few of those. But mm-hmm. I really like Mexican Home off of that album. Mm-hmm. Mexican That's Home's a, a good one. Mexican I Home, mean, probably, if people have heard that song, they've probably heard Josh Ritter do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that song anyway. But that song, I, I agree. I agree with that song's really great. I, I just listening to the album one day all the way through, and as soon as you hear that guitar riff come in, dun 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 dun, just like okay, I'm I'm in for this, and then the song itself is just stellar. Mm-hmm. So that song does that? I mean, that album does that album start with Sweet Revenge? Yes, uh huh. It starts with title track, and then I want to say it goes from that into. Uh, Dear Abby, Christmas from Prison. I might be wrong, but I think those are like the side A mm-hmm. of the song. Of the I, can't, I can't really remember off the top of my head. That album, 
This kind of got the iconic picture of him sitting in his car, feet propped L- up. Laid back, smoking yeah. a cigarette. And that's kind of, I feel, a definitive early Prine image. Mm-hmm. Right? If you need to know about John Prine, you can look at that Yeah. and be like, he's young, he's reckless, he's smoking, you know, and he's, he's different, right, in a way. But he's living. He's living. Yeah. Right? And, and as you get older... You know, that image quickly disappears with Prine. You know, think about his next few records after that. I mean, his songs get... At the core, they say Prine, but he's not afraid to experiment and take his songs in different places. I think if you can kind of just look at his album covers, you can kind of see how he matures, ages, mm-hmm. you know, how, how he goes about things in the future. Mm-hmm. He'll go from laid back in a jean jacket smoking a cigarette to turtleneck shirt just staring at the camera, you yeah. know, kind of. I mean, compare the cover of Missing Years where he's like sitting by a tree stump or something, just mm-hmm. kind of, he's wearing that, that black sweater with the sleeves rolled up, jeans, whatever it is he's wearing. He's just looking at the camera, whatever, and that that paints a completely different picture than laid back jean jacket yeah. cigarette John Prine mm-hmm. what, what is your uh, most underrated John Prine album my most underrated album is actually Diamonds in the Rough um, I feel like a lot of people know that album but they listen to the first maybe two or three songs and they feel like it's just a sophomore album that doesn't quite make the cut right well from an interview I saw John Prine talking about that album kind of put him on the map which is kind of crazy considering yeah. how great his first album was. Mm-hmm. You know? And that might just be where all of our experience with these albums are hindsight, mm-hmm. right? We, we weren't yeah. around during that time. But, you know, in all my research when I was first listening to Prime, nobody talked about that album. You know, and it might just be my perspective. But let's just put an umbrella on this of most underrated album now, just so I can kind of protect myself if that's the case. Yeah, I feel like it's Diamonds in the Rough, and I don't feel like... I feel like the closest number two would be Lost Dogs and Mixed Blessings, but I feel like that one is... I feel like that one is more of John Prine just having fun with a record as opposed to, you know, playing songs that he wrote that he really feels good about. His music was never really serious, but that's one of his least serious albums, yeah. kind of in a sense, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like the way, it was, It seems like it was recorded, you know, fast, and it was recorded fun, you know? Yeah. It, it kind of has a more broad appeal in a way, and I feel like that was all purposeful, and that's fine, but I feel like Diamonds in the Rough has some tracks on it that, you know, should be in that top tier prime category right along with basically his whole first album and his other biggest songs right so yeah uh, one big reason is the great compromise is on diamonds in the rough that's i know that my, is one of your favorite songs it's one of my favorites um i don't know why it didn't make my top three list looking back but well great compromise I, I could write the top three list Five times over, yeah. ten times over, it would not be the same. Mm-hmm. It it would you'd have one little variation off, or all three would be different. Yeah, I agree you know? with that. 
Um, great compromise on there. Everybody's on there, the opening track. And it's one of those songs that at first listen, it only says so much, right? Everybody needs somebody that they can talk to. All right. But that song can be, it can be kind of making fun of that kind of person. Like, I don't need anybody to talk to. I'm fine. Kind of like in a, yeah, that kind of way. Or it can be almost a cry for help in a way. If you think about it that way, everybody needs somebody that they can talk to. Maybe he needed somebody. Some of the songs, you know, in John Prine fashion, you can take in a couple different ways. And then you have the title track on the record, which is an old Carter family spiritual that he recorded a cappella. And one great thing about John Prine is he's not the greatest singer in the world. No. But, you know, he's himself, and he always owned that, at least on his records, right, from what we can look back and listen to now and just that song makes you feel like you're out in the field at a revival or something and just people are singing and just that experience when I listen to that song every time I I can't get over it his voice is just his voice you know Mm -hmm. but it I mean it can give you chills Mm -hmm. because you know what the music means to him and yeah you know he knows what he's singing about just the way he sings too, he, you know, he never tried to get rid of that accent, and never felt to me that he wanted to learn how to sing. He just sang, mm-hmm. and he just did it, and there wasn't any reason other than he had something to say and he was going to do it, even if he didn't know why. You know, it's just always what he did, and I, I really appreciate that, and I try to incorporate that into my musicianship and I think a lot of people do well I can I can see where you do I mean your lyricism is really great you you can tie a story together and using words I've never even thought about using in a song I mean you you have a really good connection with the words and I think that comes from you've listened to a lot of John Prine yeah well I I never really tried to pull from other people's songwriting until I listened to John Pride. So, uh, I understand why you say that. I mean, he's he's a really good inspiration to have, if you have any. Mm-hmm. He really is. And he's he's a gateway. He's the gateway musician to so many other great ones for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I feel like him and Towns Van Zant are people that, if you found, they would change your opinion on music. Right. I found John Prine first and then found Towns Van Zandt later. Some people find Towns first. Well, I mean, John Prine put me on to Blaze Foley, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, Clay Pigeons is a song that Blaze would sing as well. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I mean that can just lead to a whole different, you know. Yeah, that can we'll be have a whole to get to the podcast. Yeah, we'll have to get Blaze to the Blaze Foley. Foley story one day. That's great. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of, let's kind of, how long have we been on here? Like an hour or so? I'm not sure. I don't know if, if Zoom will tell us. We're Zooming, by the way, for our video. Yeah. If anybody out there is well, curious. Go ahead, go ahead and give me your favorite John Prine album just to get that out of the way. All right. Favorite John Prine album, hands down for me, and there's not as close number two, is Bruised Orange. And everybody I tell that to 
I've never had one person agree with me that that's their favorite Prime album. Everybody's like, yeah, it's really good. But for me, Bruised Orange, all the way. Now it's got Fish and Whistle. Mm-hmm. Great, Great song. Great song. That's the way that the world goes around. One of John Prine's greatest works. It's got Bruce Dorn's Chain of Sorrow, which is just a song that we need to have a lyric breakdown at some point. Yes, we just, will. It's just, it's just written so weirdly, and I love that about it. Um, let's see, it's got The Elephant Boy on it, um, which is another kind of strange song, just... Sabu the Elephant Boy, that anybody would write a song about that, and it comes out so good. And let's see. The main reason that I love that album is because from top to bottom, every time I listen to it through, I feel John Prine more than any other album. I can't really describe it past that. The songs the way that they're recorded, um, just the certain sound it has tonally, I really enjoy. I like that there's like pan flute on it. Yeah. Or whatever that instrument is. Um, I feel like his band was super tight. Um, Not that that really means much for John Prine's music, but I just feel like everything fit together. And I feel like some of those songs, if they were on a different record, would kind of be forgotten in a way out of place in a sense, but they're all just kind of stars lined up situation. I I understand what you're getting at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And mine. Yeah. Tell me yours. I'm sorry. Uh, but mine would have to be the self-titled album. And I know I'm, I'm sounding like such a simple person right now, but well, I mean, you're not give it, give us your reasons. Your flag to cow won't get you to heaven is a great reason. That's it's I can't, a song I can't that's argue with often, that. often overlooked, but I mean, that's probably one of my favorite cuts from that album. And, you know, of course you got Paradise and some of the other songs, Sam Stone. List one song on that record that, if you played for somebody, couldn't change their life. If there's one, it's probably Six O'Clock News. And that is... Yeah, that's a, still a good cut. It's an amazing song. Yeah. And I was having no fun. <laughs> Legal smile, man. You've got a ton of good cuts from that album. And it's hard to argue against that album in any respect. I mean, those are the songs that he was writing to write, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, before he had albums to cut, before he had anything to worry about. They were just his songs he was writing. And there's a lot to say about that. And. Most people can argue that that's his greatest, and I can't argue against him. But for me, it's bruised orange. Just no, I understand the connection that point. you have to that. Yeah, and I so can what, see exactly where you're coming from with that one being number one. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about the self-titled album for the people out there who aren't aware of the tracks on his first album. Do you have the list pulled up? I don't. Let me go ahead. And I'm gonna kind of pull it up too. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, um, I'm on Spotify, just going to pull up the album. 
I don't okay. know. So I've, I've just got it pulled up on Google right here. Okay. So you've got um, number one, Illegal Smile, which mm-hmm. is a great song. Spanish Pipe Dream is probably my favorite cut off of that album. Yeah, Spanish Pipe Dream. That, that, that song got covered a lot, I think. I mean, like you had like John Denver and a bunch of other people covered it. That sounds right to me. Um, you got Hello in there. Sad Sam song. St- Sam Stone. Saddest song. Yes. <laughs> Sad, sadder. <laughs> Paradise. Pretty good is a good cut, too. Pretty good is pretty underrated. Pretty really. good. Not bad. Far From Me. Um, Angel from Montgomery. Quiet Man. Donald and Linda. Good song. I think Donald and Linda's on one of his live albums, and I really prefer the live version over... I like every version of Donald and Liddy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. There's not... I I personally love that song. Flashback Blues Blues is probably the least known song on the album, really, looking back at the whole list. People Um, probably had to stop playing it after, like, the (laughs) 10th track because their mind was just in a pretzel. (laughs) Yeah, really. From what they were hearing. So let's think about it this way. How many songs on this album... Do you reasonably think that if someone more well-known at the time would have sang, would have made them number one and a megastar? I can only think of two. Okay, which ones do you have? Paradise and Angel from Montgomery, the two quintessential John Prine songs, you know. So people... the songs that actually sent people to number one. Yeah. Because right, Angel from Montgomery was, you know, Bonnie Raitt. Right, she kind of took that. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, Bonnie Raitt. And Paradise was recorded. It was a number one bluegrass song for uh, the McReynolds, I believe. Um, and then Johnny Cash covered Sam Stone. So that was really popular. Um, I would say, um, if I had to add one more, I'd probably say hello in there. Cause I yeah. can imagine like in the seventies, someone, a big country star could have sang hello in there. Even if Johnny Cash sang hello in there, you know, kind of, it, it would have been a really big sad ballad but looking at like illegal smile spanish pipe dream your flag decal mm-hmm. i don't really feel like anybody else could sing those songs Mm-mm. and do the, do it enough justice to get them yeah. a high and spot so, on billboard they're so specific and kind of for the time a little little edgy in a way yeah so, a little too political some yeah. of them and yeah but so i agree with that but just to think to have even one song on a record one song made a lot of people's careers. And in John Prine's first album, I mean, we talked about, what, four right there? Yeah. So, and that's just his first album. Yeah, very few debut albums like that. The only two I can think of off the top of my head are that one, of course, and then Boston by Boston. Boston by Boston. Listen, that's that good. album from top to bottom is a still, and then good. they never released another they good never, song. They never could. I, they, they couldn't live to. up to it. Yeah. I'm sure you they can, did not care. You could literally live off that album, go play that 40-minute album every night and get mm-hmm. standing ovation. I think um, the counter to Boston is the Eagles because they could have stopped 
after the beginning, yeah. they kept putting out great stuff their whole career. Um, kind of that same thinking. And John Prime Christmas came out after Missing Years. It did, okay. That's what yeah. I was thinking. That Christmas album is really... I'll list last Christmas, I was driving over my grandma's house um, with my mom and my sister, and I put on the final track, A John Prime Christmas, and it's just him telling a story. Yeah. And my mom was just looking at me and just kind of smiling, and I was like, yeah. I mean, they liked it. It wasn't even an actual John Prine song. Yeah, out of any Christmas album I listen to at Christmas, I listen to this one, and sometimes I turn on Ella Fitzgerald Christmas for the sake of... You know, I can sing with all the songs on there, and it's yeah. kind of different. But but that song, for the past five years now, I've listened to it every Christmas, at least once, all the way through. Um, we haven't even talked about any album past the year 2000. And just to kind of give you an idea of the albums released, and that weren't just um, compilation albums. Now, was the In Spite of Ourselves record... Released 99. in 99. Yeah, that's why I thought it was at the turn of the century. Yeah, so we'll start so. there. In, in Spite of Ourselves, which mm-hmm. for people who don't know, is a duo record um, with some of the greatest female singers in country folk music. Um, it features the In Spite of Ourselves that everybody knows. Yeah. Um, after that, we have um, Souvenirs, which is... For people who aren't familiar with this record, it's a bunch of John Prine's songs released on his former label label before he signed it, before he uh, created his own. And it's so he could have uh, recording rights to his songs because he didn't own them after he left uh, whoever it was he was with, which is really sad to think about. Yeah. And then Fair and Square, which won a Grammy in 2005. And that's... Uh, Some Humans Ain't Humans that I mentioned earlier is on that record. And it's just Long a Monday. sounding record. Long Monday's on that one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you have an album with Mac Wiseman, which is a good record. I don't listen to it a lot. And then he has a live album. And then a recording from before he had his first record out of him at a performance mm-hmm. in, 19, in early 1971, I think. And it's really good. It's called The Singing Mailman Delivers. And then his two most recent albums, which are For Better or Worse, which is another duo album with yeah, a bunch of Yeah, a bunch singers. of great female singers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Tree of Forgiveness. And in there, there's countless records from old performances, like September 1978, a um, bunch of live albums, and... A great big catalog. With a, he's featured on a bunch of stuff on Spotify, especially. I will say, if there's any way to cap off your career and your life, it was to with with a screen door. You know, without a screen door. Yeah. That that was a good. Or knocking at your screen door. My bad. Yeah. That's the a good way to cap off the album. The tree of forgiveness for me was there are maybe. Let's see. Let's just go through the record. There are one, two, three, four songs that I would think about and go listen to. Mm-hmm. I haven't listened to the album all the way through probably in like a year. And my only, the only reason I think I don't come back to this album more 
is some of the, the production in it, I think, overtakes the songs. And, and I think that that works for a lot of people. Obviously, it's probably done better than the majority of his albums in terms of sales and, you know, the reputation it's kind of built for him the last few years. But for me, I don't know, it doesn't rank very high. I well, I, I, I can see where you're coming from, though, because, I mean, it's not in John Prine fashion. He's not, you know, broken yeah. down musically as most mm-hmm. of his other albums are. Yeah. You know, it, it was actually studio recorded, and I think believe they recorded it in Nashville, maybe. They recorded it with the same guy who did uh, Sturgill's really big Metamodern Sounds, Chris Stapleton. Oh, okay. Was it Dave Cobb then? Yeah. Yeah, Cobb. Okay. And, uh... I don't know, his sound's really big. You listen back to Metamodern Sounds, you listen to it like through headphones or something. There's so much Kind of like a big room sound, yeah. Yeah. I know what you're and, talking about. And it just, and it's a great sound. And like for Metamodern Sounds, and we can have a whole other podcast on Sturgill or something. something. Every single album. Every can single be album. be talked about and dissected. Yeah. Oh, man. And you think about uh, Chris Stapleton's records too, really big. And, you know, that really separated his music along with, you know, his legendary voice. Yeah. But, you know, because some of the songs off that Chris Stapleton album, they aren't the best, you know, written songs. They're kind of, some of them are kind of generic, but they sound so Great, yeah. Great instrumentation for, you know, what it is. I do have one important question for you this week, sir. Yes, bring it up. What have you been spinning? What have I been spinning? On your record player. So, in quarantine times, quarantine times, there's been a lot of cleaning. Um, I'm generally the kind of person that does not want to clean, does not want to clean. Then I wake up one day and I have to clean. Mm-hmm. It's like it's almost like this OCD tick. Like after so many days or hours, whatever it is, it's just like clean. I'm going to clean the whole house and I'm not going to do anything until it's done. I've been so, like that too. Yeah. We had one of those the other day and. Bailey, my girlfriend, she organized her um, record shelf, alphabeticalized mm-hmm. it, alphabetized is the word I was trying to say. Um, and during that, we found some records that we put on. Um, a couple weeks ago, we listened to the Buckaroos without Buck Owens. We listened to that album through. We listened to the Yeehaw Gospel Quartet. Then we put this record on. I'll kind of zoom that in a little bit. This is David Grisman. Mondo Mando. And for those of you not familiar with David Grisman, he is the father of dog music. And dog music, they, they call David Grisman dog. Right? They, they still do. He's still alive. And he's this mandolin whiz that plays this, this crazy infusion of traditional bluegrass music with hardcore jazz music. And... He's, he's very well known. Most people probably know who he is. So, But give this record a listen. Um, I had not listened to this one cover to cover before. And it starts and ends with two very long, almost classical pieces, like really progressive, like the Punch Brothers-esque in a way, mm-hmm. like 10 minutes long is the last track, I think. It's not listed on the back at the time, but I think it's 10 minutes just a piece. And on this record, I believe is a, a version of the original David Grisman quintet 
which has Tony Rice playing guitar, at least on one track, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I'd have to look up the, the, the credits. But that's what, a, what I've been spitting. Yeah. What a collaboration, Tony Rice and David Crispin yeah, on one record. It really is. It really is. Mm. It's good listening. It's, it's good cleaning music. It makes you want to clean faster yeah. because it's, it's got some speedy pieces a in paste, it. A paste, yeah. Yeah. What are you, Brady? Tell me what you're spinning. I've been spinning my new uh, autographed Pokey Lafarge record, which I'm so excited about. Ordered it from New West Records, which is, I guess, his record label now, and it came on a special cream color vinyl. Oh, I did very, not know that. Very slick, very slick. That is very cool. Um, now, now, Pokey well, Lafarge, Brady, is a shared favorite of ours. You so, put me on to Pokey. Well, I'm glad that I did, because <laughs> yeah. there needs to be... More people listening to Pokey. Now, Pokey has a pretty good following, you'd say, but it's not, I wouldn't call him well-known. Not like, by any means. I feel like he is, a, you know, your generic, he's not generic in any means, but, you know, as in the sense that he gets an average of like 500,000 views on his music videos and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, not yeah. anything too big. Yeah. But, I mean, his music speaks volumes to a yeah. ton of people, especially me. I'd say he's he's at the level where he can make his living comfortably playing music the rest of his life. Yeah, for sure. Right. And I, this, this record itself, um, it's a little different than most of his other ones in it a really sense. Is. And I, I think I figured it out. It's because he got a new band. Yeah. He, well, I did some reading that he did it at the same place where he recorded something in the water, had the same producer... And he had the same band outside of the rhythm section, which would go a long way yeah. into the, the different sound. I think that's what I read. But, but I know this, it's the same producer. This has a lot of crazy good tracks. The first side, listening all the way through, aside from um, Bluebird, is a great side. And then the second side, I'm still getting a little familiar with it all. But, you know, Carry On, Just the Same, are two good tracks to start off with. And then, you know, Storm Are Coming is a good one I like off there, too. Yeah, I feel the same way about Bluebird, Brady. I feel like it's the one that doesn't stick in my head. It seems really out of place in the order of things. I feel like if you put it somewhere else in the album, it would be fine. But mm-hmm. just kind of... The, so what's your standout track off the, the record? The very uncensored track, um, F Me Up. Yeah. which is a great song. And it, I'm pretty sure it was the um, single he picked off the album. It was. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, he couldn't have picked a better single off the album. Aside from maybe Lucky Lucky Sometimes is a good one. Yeah, Lucky Sometimes has a music video, though. That's a really good music video for that one. Um, but yeah, F Me Up is, it has a feel. It, it, it gives you an idea of what Pokey really is. Like he's like the ultimate blend of old school blues, jazz, um, jazz country, just like 20s kind of music with that modern twist. And there's just enough modern, like an example in that song, there's an old Tommy piano playing the same thing, like blues lick over and over. And then you have these modern sounding drums and modern sound and electric guitar, like crunching, and then like an upright bass playing like a smooth walking line, and then his voice with a little bit of kind of an effect on it, like it might just be 
you know, a little bit of distortion or compress. I, I think, I think the background vocals too make it a lot, you know, that, yeah. ooh. Yeah, it's, it's like backup singers. From, yeah. Even like, even almost like Motown and Bluebird, actually. You know, be, being singing. kind of a, you know, very uncensored song, it still has that little bit of a gospel feel to it. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a little Which bit. Which is, of a, it's weird in a way, yeah. But that's, that's what some of his music's really rooted into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, a lot of people know Pokey as the guy that sounds like he was born in the 20s from his first few records that were, you know, strictly like St. Louis blues or old-timey 1920s blues yeah. sounding songs with the same instrumentation. And, you know, his past... I think it was Something in the Water was his last album that was really like that. And it really... It started to move even then. But his last couple albums... Um, what was the name of his album before this one? Was it Manic uh, Revelations? Yeah. That album was really not that 20 sounding. It was just his voice. And then that kind of blended with the older sound that he had in this record. And I think this record is a really good place for him to move from. And I mean, sounds. It, it seems like he's getting a good, I mean, I know he's been around for a while, but it's a good start too. If he's trying to yeah. get more of a commercial presence, you know, get more, mm-hmm. you know, radio wear time and stuff yeah. like that. Because I, I feel like that's something he's had some a little bit of, but not really mm-hmm. been too. It's been like a song or two. Yeah. Like for example, on Spotify, he has one hundred eighty-one thousand monthly listeners, which is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But you know, one hundred eighty-one thousand people isn't a lot in the world, um, and he has. Two songs over a million plays um, a month, and one's almost a three million. <clears throat> but you know he's he's at a good level, but I still think more people need to know about him, and not just a lot of people know Kentucky May that song, yeah, um, just because it's a beautiful song, and more people should know it. But the rest of his stuff, I really think, stands out in a way that nobody else is playing music right now that I know of. And even then, nobody could sing like him, so it wouldn't matter. Yeah, seriously. And that's why I like talking about people like this, because, I mean, you could have a whole episode yeah. just talking about e- even each album, each song. I mean, I mean, you could really get into the, the bread and butter of things talking about these people. I'm going to say to the listeners... Um, we, th- we would like your ideas of what you want to hear, okay? Um, our, our goal with this podcast is to make you aware of things that you're not hearing, right? What you're not hearing. So what goes into that, we also want to learn things that we're not hearing, right? Would you agree, Brady? Yeah. I'm always up for a new musical challenge, getting into a certain genre or listening to a new artist I've never really been familiar with. And we don't have any limits on what it is that people will submit to us, idea-wise, okay? Um, just be aware if you're submitting us, like, Lee Bryce or something, something that we're familiar with and we know we don't like. Yeah. We might politely decline it, okay? But we're, we'll give everything a shot, okay? As I'll, as I'll listen to Norwegian death metal if I have to. Yeah. I mean, I can get into anything. Yeah. I mean, we can have an episode where we talk about our musical... Our musical libraries. Here, let's put this on the docket right now, on the record, on the recording. Uh, let's do an episode where we 
do random shuffles of our biggest playlist. Mine's Spotify. I don't know if yours is Spotify or Apple or whatever. I'm on Apple, yeah. Okay. So we'll just do a big shuffle, and the stuff that comes up, we'll just talk about each song for a little bit and just kind of have to explain what happens. Yeah, have to explain. Because I know, for me, I have the Shrek 2 soundtrack saved because <laughs> it's one of my favorite soundtracks for some reason in my life. Um, so let's put, that, let's put that on the docket. It's on there. I've got it marked down here. I'll... Okay. But so, I think good spot to end the episode, maybe? Yeah. Do you want to do the outro, sir? Yeah. So thank you all for listening to what you're not hearing. Okay. So we will have our third member of our podcast joining us soon. I'm um, hopefully for podcast number two. He is the owner of Bucks Records and Haircuts in Ashland, Kentucky, near Ashland. Um, and he will be our vinyl correspondent. And we're going to do our sections like we did here with uh, What's Spinning. We're going to do that on a much bigger platform. Talk about, you know, the new vinyl he has and new vinyl that we get usually from him. So be looking forward to that in the future. Be looking forward to more talks about local artists in the future. We wanted to open up with John Prine as a way for maybe to ease people in, would you say? Yeah, kind of get the feet wet too for us. Yeah, because this, this is new for us. We've done a couple practice runs and recording sessions, but, you know, we're live here. So, you know, we, we appreciate everybody listening in, tuning in, no matter what time it is, whether it's five years in the future, who knows with this kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're... We're going to move on and go ahead and end this thing. Thank you, folks. Have a good afternoon or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, whatever time it is for you. Have a good one.